So as a church, if you've been with us this uh, summer so far, we've actually been putting Matthew on hold and going into a character study of, of David, of King David. And we started at the very beginning when he was a shepherd boy and uh, he defeated Goliath as a young kid, essentially. And we've been tracking through, essentially, his ups and downs. And a lot of these have been valleys. Um, and today we're going to wrap up this series on David. And I hope it's been just really fruitful in terms of studying him as a character, but also, and more importantly, understanding what that reveals about God, who is with David. The text for today is actually going to be Psalm 51. And it makes total sense to close with this and to allow this passage to speak into last week's uh, sermon with Ben as well, if you were there for that. Before we read, though, we're going to enter a time of prayer. And, you know, we don't start with this just because it's a ritual or because this is what we do at church. I want to emphasize that prayer is this really special tool and discipline that we get as Christians. Um, we get connection with God at any time, intimately, um, with Christ, with his death and resurrection. The veil was torn so we can enter in without doing all of that other stuff that Old Testament prophets had to do, um, you know, uh, David himself. We have access to God. And as you pray this morning with me, I want you to be in awe of that. That that's not something that we should just take lightly, that, you know, God's just this person that we go to with our problems or this counselor. He is those things, but he's also the one who made you. He's also the one who created you. And we're so unworthy to be in his presence at all, and yet here he invites us in. So as you bow your heads right now, um, I want you to take a second and just imagine how incredible that is that we get that privilege to come before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so, so in awe of you. You're just so great. You're so mighty. And we don't even have words that can do you justice. Thank you for being perfect. Thank you for being perfect beyond we can e what we can even describe as perfect. We don't even understand it. And Lord, this morning we gather here because we want to hear from you. We don't want to hear from me, the speaker, or anybody else. We just want to hear about what your word says and what it says about you. My prayer is that this morning we inhabit Psalm 51. This is a message, uh, a testimony of repentance, of turning from what we used to be. And they're not just David's words, but they're ours too. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us that you would give us strength and courage to, to mutter these words towards you in our brokenness as well, so that we can experience redemption in full. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones with you, closer, oh. um, please turn to Psalm 51. It'll also be up on the screen. So I wish I could go through the whole thing. I really do. 
but there's so much good stuff in here, and we're going to focus on really the core of it. So it's pretty much like three-fourths of the whole psalm, but I really encourage you to read the rest of it when you have time. A little background in case you weren't here last week. Um, you might know the story, but David is in a valley right now. He is pretty messed up, to be honest. Um, he has an affair with Bathsheba because he was out hanging out at the roof and um, you know, checking out other people. For whatever reason, he was there and Bathsheba appears. They have intercourse and they have a child through her. And in an attempt to cover up that sin, he actually brings other people in. And Uriah, one of his most trusted and faithful men in his army, who is the husband of Bathsheba, actually gets killed as a result of David trying to cover up this affair that he's having. And Ben so um, well described how our sin can actually extend to people around us, that it doesn't affect just our souls, but it brings other people into that brokenness as well. We know from chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 that God is displeased with this behavior. It's very clear. And he actually sends the prophet Nathan to rebuke David in his sin. He tells this parable that actually lets David condemn himself, coming to that self-realization that he is guilty of a very, very grave sin. I can't help but think of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, and this is also a very famous parable. The father in the prodigal son gave everything to his son. Um, his, you know, his wealth, resources protected him with shelter and love, family, community, all those things. And the crazy thing about that story is that the son actually betrays his father because he walks away from it. He wants to live his own life. Imagine how that father felt in that situation. Disappointed, frustrated, let down, angry. And the reason why I bring up that parable is because that's the parallel to God's situation with David right now. David didn't just start, you know, feeling guilty about this and um, began this relationship with God all of a sudden. He knew God his entire life. He grew up as a shepherd boy. God was with him. All the beasts that he fought to protect his, his flock, God was with him. Against Goliath, the Philistine, he won because God was with him. He is on the throne of Israel because God is with him. He knew God his entire life. And this is how God must be feeling. David has betrayed, offended his heavenly father through the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Let's look at verse 1. This is his response to his sin after Nathan calls him out. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Look at verse 3 with me real quick. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You see, David knew his sin. And that's actually really unusual for, for us to look at this type of confession. How do you confess to the Lord? How do you confess to people around you? Does it sound something like this? Or does it sound different? And here's the differences I'm talking about. We have this tendency to make excuses. We make excuses about, okay, maybe we're not that sinful. Maybe those other people who are criminals, who have broken the law, who have murdered, maybe they're worthy of condemnation, but not, not me. I'm not, I'm not that bad. Or maybe something like, God, why did you put me in that situation? Why did you, you know, make Bathsheba so attractive that she was just my type so that I would fall for her? Or why did you make me a shepherd boy so that I had to grow up with these animals, you know, not having much food to eat? And why is that trauma coming back into my sin now? We can't separate ourselves from those sins. Um, I'm not saying that this is inherently sinful, but I was actually at Anime Expo yesterday. And in case you don't know what that is, it's basically a big gathering of nerds. That's pretty much all you need to know. But um, I love to collect things. I cannot emphasize that enough. If you go to my place, you're more than welcome. I have all these different collectibles on display. And Anime Expo is pretty much like the, the mecca for somebody like me. So I found myself on the rooftop this past week, or all weekend, you know, left and right, things that I want to buy. My wallet's like begging for mercy, but I'm just constantly churning out money uh, to buy stuff that I don't need. Um, so Laura has to like grab me and restrain me as I try to run to all these tables. But, you know, why did I immerse myself in that situation? You know, why was I there on the roof? You know, we've all been there. We were in situations where we probably shouldn't have been in but we're tempted in those ways. You see, David already tried to hide his sin. It's not like he immediately went to repent right after he had this affair. He actually tried to cover it up. Uriah is, the re is uh, an outcome of that, um, that attempt to hide his sin. You know, he's probably thinking, I'm the king. I am a spiritual leader to the people of Israel. I can't you know, I can't show my weaknesses. I can't show that I'm a fallen person, too. So he sends Uriah to eventually be killed on the battlefield in an attempt to cover himself up. You don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 139, also a Psalm of David, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there, you being God. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. David understands that he cannot run away from his sin. Um, and we can't either. The solution to dealing with sin is not running away. It's not running into the wilderness, hoping that nothing around you will tempt you, because you're bringing that sin with you. So even if you go to the mountains or whatever and you're by yourself, the sin is still there. And that's not what God is calling us to do. That's not what God calls David to do in terms of the sin that's within him. 
If you think about it as kids, we have this instinct. It's, it's part of us. It's part of our programming, our DNA, to try to cover up our wrongdoings, whether it's against God or against our brothers and sisters in church or against our friends or our family. When you're a kid, when you do something wrong, when you did something you weren't supposed to or your mom told you not to do, isn't the first thing you do is think about how can I pretend like this never happened? Or how can I cover this up so that they never find out? And we're the exact same way with God. David understands that he is guilty of doing that exact same thing in his sin. And sometimes we delay. Um, we do something wrong and our solution, our, our cure is to deal with it later. You know, like, God, give me a year to figure all this stuff out and when that year ends, I'll be much better and we don't have to have this awkward, honest conversation. But what are the consequences of that? Um, at least I've seen in my own life and other people's, there's a lot of negative stuff that comes with that delay of confronting this sin. Sometimes you just stop caring or going to church entirely. Sometimes you stop surrounding yourself with Christians who want to edify you with their words and pray for you because you fear condemnation or judgment. And this is a bit of a spoiler of what happens at the end, but what happens to David is not condemnation. What happens to David is actually redemption and forgiveness. And in my mind, he went to this prayer very shortly after he was called out. You see, David knew that he was messed up. He knew that he was sick on the inside. And what do we do when we're sick on the inside? We look, we look for a cure. But the reason why David can be admired despite his mistakes is because he truly knew God. That's the only reason. Think about this confession. Is this something that somebody who doesn't know God would say? If he didn't, his sin would just be glossed over. You know, this is not a big deal. This is normal for the world. Let's just continue on with life. No, the reason why he's feeling this guilt and this need to repent is because he knows the Lord. He knows the cure for his sickness, and he runs to it. You know, yeah, he messed up along the way. He tried to cover up, but he knew at the end that was going to do nothing for him, and it didn't do anything for him. Theoretically, if Uriah got fooled into um, fathering that child that was actually David's in an alternate timeline or whatever, I don't think anything would have changed if he didn't have this conversation with God. He would still be in his sin. He would still be trying to run and cover it up, but only to fail. You might be thinking, how come Bathsheba and Uriah, those names don't show up in this psalm? How come they're not confessed? Like, oh, I'm sorry I hurt Bathsheba. I'm sorry that I had this affair. I'm sorry I killed Uriah. It's because all these things are symptoms of a deeper problem. It's the symptom of an unregenerate heart. Um, and we know that sin takes many forms in terms of our behaviors. But David was concerned not with their forgiveness um, of those that he offended, but the forgiveness of God himself. Because that's the only one that really matters at the end of the day. And also, God's the one that he sinned against. He says, only towards you have I sinned. Only against you have I sinned. If you lie in a way that's offensive to your brother and sister, if you lie at all, 
or if you condemn people around you, God is the one who's receiving that offense. Because he's the one who made all of us, right? He's the one who um, made Bathsheba, made Uriah. He has a relationship with them too. So David's trying to find the core of the problem, and that is his heart. It's, you know, he's in darkness. He's, he's hiding himself from the Lord. He's not letting his sin be forgiven. And the reality is that we're just like David. We've been on that roof. Um, some people say that God is way more strict in the Old Testament, and I disagree. Uh, when Jesus comes and teaches about lust, for example, he says even if you look at somebody lustfully, that counts as adultery, which is an even higher standard that we can never hope to reach. And we've all done that before. Uh, we've all either led somebody into temptation by being that target of lust, or we've been the person lusting after somebody else. We lie. We lie all the time. David is just one of us. He's not this example that we're all looking at from the outside. He's actually sitting there with us. I challenge you, Renewed Church, when you confess your sins to God, does it look like this? Does it have this level of honesty where you're just completely honest with the person you're telling or God himself? That you admit that it's not God's fault that I saw Bathsheba or that you know, I lusted after her. It's actually my own. Um, I am broken, I am wicked, and I need you. That's the only way out of this. Is that what it sounds like when you confess? Look at verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and your abundant mercy. It's not about us anymore when we confess. You know, we can make those excuses to make us think that it's about us. But David is so strong in his faith in who God is because he knows that he's wicked. But despite that, I know that you're good. He needs something external to heal him from this, this sin that he has in his heart. Do you have that kind of faith in God's steadfast love, knowing that not 95% confident or 99% confident, but 100 that his steadfast love will not fail you. Even though David was just as broken as the rest of us, that's something that he knew as truth. You know that God's merciful in the same way that David does. That God not only can forgive, but that he will. And that can cleanse you from your sin. Let's look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. And by the way, hyssop is a leafy plant that you put water in and, and blood in sometimes to purify somebody or a house that's come into contact with a dead person or a leper, something that would defile that area. And he's using this figuratively to show that I am that house that needs cleansing. You have to cleanse me with hyssop, Lord. That's what David's trying to say here. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. He's saying, even though you have broken me, even though you are the one who has pushed me so low to the point where I am just helpless to save myself, 
that I want to rejoice in that. I want to rejoice in that valley because it means that I'll get to see more of you. I'll get to know you on a more intimate level because you are my help and you are my guide. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me away not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me and restore to me the joy of, our, of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know something that's really scary about church, especially these days, is we can fool each other so easily in terms of what's on the outside. When I first started ministry, something I was actually kind of excited about is that I felt like I had this immunity that nobody could ever call me out for anything because I was going into ministry, right? Like, oh, he must pray a lot or he must study a lot in seminary. The Bible must be always open in his room. You know, he's like so holy and all that stuff. And that sounded kind of nice. And now, you know, I'd actually rather you come approach me, so please do that. But when you think about it, God doesn't want these superficial changes because they don't mean anything unless it comes from a heart that's regenerate, a heart that knows the Lord and that has been cleansed from iniquity. So I can live the rest of my life, you know, working at churches, doing these things, um, not swearing, not drinking, and you guys would all think that I am close to the Lord and I might not be. And that should terrify you. Um, Who's the one who's going to be calling you out? Because we're scared to talk these days about these kind of things. But what God's calling us to do in church is to bring that stuff in. Um, Yeah, you can look nice for church, and everybody looks nice today, by the way. But bring in the ugliness, too, that's in your soul. What's the point if we have like a pile of manure in our soul, and we're trying to clean it out, and we're just cleaning everything else around it, but not what actually really matters, you know? Like, we gotta grab that shovel and, and clean it up. And this is the place to do it. Church is not a fan club. That's just the best way I thought of putting it. It's not this idea of, oh, okay, we're fans of Jesus, so we're gonna come here, sing some songs, and then we're gonna leave and come back next week. And we like the way he teaches, we like the stories that he tells. No, 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 church is a hospital. We're here because, like David, we come to this point where we realize that we're sick inside, that we are wicked and that we're desperately looking for that cure, and we have been led here knowing that that cure is Christ. Once again, this is something that David understood. This is why he had this psalm, because he knew that he had to come before the Lord, and that was the only thing that could cleanse him of his wickedness. How many people went to Shina's baptism? by the way. How many people were there like just for the tacos? That was, that was pretty good, right? Um, anyway, that was awesome. Um, Shina's baptism was really cool. Any baptism is a wonderful celebration of repentance. If you really think about it, it's saying that I don't want to be what I used to be. I know how miserable that is. I don't want to be running away from sin. 
I don't want to be guilty of my sin. And I'm showing everybody here today that when I come out of that water, I am dead to myself. I am victorious in Christ. I identify with him now and not my sin. But something that not everybody gets to hear is that when we go out into the water to baptize somebody, Pastor Wilson starts off with this. He says, so-and-so, do you confess that you're a sinner? Like, why do we start with that? Why isn't it just, do you confess that you love Jesus? Or do you confess that you love God? The reason why is because it has to go in that order. This is the reason why this psalm started out with a confession. It's because you have to recognize that you need something else. You need inner transformation. The outside stuff, that's not going to cut it for, for God's standard anymore. It might cut it for ours. We might be tricked into thinking that you're really holy and everything that's going on inside is good. For God who already knows all these things, it's not enough. The reason why we start with that line is because we have to confess before the Lord that we need him. If we try to save ourselves, you'll only end up in failure. Something that David understood. I've always been really bothered by the fact of multiple tiers of sin. Okay, so these days most of us can say, oh, we're probably a good person or we're good enough. But all those people, I've evangelized the people who struggled with this very concept. How can God be forgiving to somebody who is a pedophile or somebody who has murdered somebody? They don't deserve it. And if God is this righteous judge where he makes no mistake and he has this perfect justice, how can he be so graceful and merciful to, to even those people? And this is where I enter the last section of what this psalm is pointing to. And the only reason why God can do that and show his mercy even to those individuals, which we all are anyways, is the gospel, which means good news, if literally translated. The cross, the death and resurrection of Christ, represents mercy, love, and grace in its purest form, to the point where we don't even understand how that can be possible. But there is punishment. Um, there is condemnation for sin. But it's not to us anymore. It's, it was done onto Christ on the cross. And you might be wondering, why is that good news? It's because anybody can come before the throne of God now, if you're in Christ Jesus. That when we pray, the reason why we can do that is because there's a bridge that has been built by God so that we have full access to him through the blood of Christ. And the coolest part about this is that David is actually an ancestor of Jesus himself. So at the time, David probably didn't even know exactly how this works. Like, how could God forgive me for my iniquities? And then later down the road, we see that Jesus, a descendant, was the reason why David could be forgiven and the reason why we could be forgiven too. How do you think David felt after, um, after his confession? Why don't you think about that for a second? Because we know that it's not always so simple, where you present your confessions to God, you ask for forgiveness, and you just get it. I believe 
that David felt at complete peace after this conversation with the Lord. And I'm talking about real peace, not the peace that you get from isolating yourself in the forest and it's quiet and you're away from the hustle and bustle of life. I'm not talking about the artificial peace that we get when we manipulate our circumstances so that they're favorable to us. I'm talking about the peace that you get when you know that you're forgiven by God. I believe he experienced freedom from his sin after this conversation. As a church, if we're supposed to take this text seriously, there's a lot of things that have to change. And we know that with that change and that conviction and that challenge that this word puts on our hearts, it's going to be painful. Um, there's a reason why we don't confess our sins constantly and honestly. It's because we have this reflex of guarding ourselves. But that's not what God says we have to do. And that's not what David models in this psalm. We have to be transparent. Like I said before, if I lived my whole life doing these things, I don't think anybody would think that I was doing anything wrong. But if we actually keep ourselves honest with one another, and most importantly, honest with God, these things can actually come to light, and we can actually start to experience the redemption that God offers. But how is that supposed to happen if we don't do these things? If we stop making excuses, if we stop making lies to one another, if we start sugarcoating what our sin is, we can't. And even though God knows he demands honesty from us, just as David did, it's really easy to focus on David. I know I've been talking about him a lot. It's all about David, you know, like he's forgiven and he's a godly man and all these things. But that's not the focus of the psalm. Don't forget what all these were written for. The focus of this is actually God's character. It just happened to be revealed through David's experience. God really does have steadfast love. A lot of us have experienced that already. He actually has mercy, real mercy. We know that because of Jesus, because he died on the cross for our sins. Is there a greater sacrifice than your own son? And we know that he's patient with us. So, so patient. I know that we have limitations to our patience. Um, we're very, very impatient these days, actually. We like things immediately. We want to be forgiven right then and there with no effort, with no repentance. But this idea of repenting is that you turn away from all those other things. You're actually leaving a lot behind, and it might feel like that. But what's on the other side is far, far more significant than what you're leaving behind. That is what true repentance is, and that is how David has shown praise and worship to God by his transformation. Are you confident in God's perfect character? That's my question that I pose as we walk away from this text and this theme of David. Are you completely confident in who God is and how good he is to forgive you? In verse 12, it says that, uh, it says, Restore me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Do you see it right there? It says that God is willing. He's not this person, this enemy that you're like just playing tug of war with all the time. He's actually willing to forgive you. In fact, I know you've probably seen a lot of people on fire for the Lord. He always has a greater desire to reconcile with you than us to him, no matter how hard we're seeking him out and what we're doing to, to reconcile with him. He's always there first. We're going to enter a time of prayer again. And I want you to take advantage of this time because we're all together as a family in service with brothers and sisters around us. But this is going to be a one-on-one -on -one time with you and God. I don't want church to just be a routine. God doesn't want church to just be a routine. He wants you to be here with all your baggage and utilize this space, this encounter with him for confession or for encouragement or edification of other people. That is the purpose of this meeting. And some of you might be shocked about that because you've been going your whole life. But when we bring it back to that, then we'll see real transformation. Then God will really, really work in these areas that have been exposed. And there is reconciliation there. Okay, uh, please bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I can't convict anybody. Um, it's not our responsibility to say that somebody knows you or not. But what should be the, the most important thing for each and every one of us is that you know them. That you're present, your spirit's present in their inner parts. Thank you that David can be used as a model that we see here in scripture for what it looks like to deal with guilt well. And we know that guilt is a toxic feeling. We know that it's ever before us, that we were born in it. But there's such good news that we know from your word, and that's that we can be redeemed. We can be a regenerate people. We can be free from this sin. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength to be honest with one another to recognize that we need you so, so badly. That only you can heal us. You're the cure to our illness. And it's so amazing that we have enough for ourselves, but there's also enough for everybody, that we would lead many into your kingdom. Thank you that we can talk to you directly, God. Thank you that you hear our prayers. May this church be one that really just takes after this discipline of honesty with you, Lord. Because you're our dad. You want us closer and closer to you every day. Give us eyes to see that. Give us hearts that want that. Thank you for this time that we have together, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.